Tēnā queer, no mai, haere mai. My name is Will Appleby and welcome to Animal Matters. Today on the show we're bringing you my interview with Aaron Cross from the Greyhound Protection League, who I had the pleasure of speaking with recently. Aaron is one of the leading voices in the Greyhound advocacy space who isn't influenced by the Greyhound racing industry. Many of the Greyhound shelters and rehoming agencies operating in Aotearoa have close ties with the industry and in turn will never say anything bad about Greyhound racing. The Greyhound Protection League is a true independent voice and Aaron has been speaking truth to power for many years now with little support from anyone else. SAFE recently formed a partnership with the Greyhound Protection League and we're working on a campaign to ban Greyhound racing in Aotearoa which is an absolute pleasure to work on. Greyhounds are amazing animals and at the end of the day they're dogs just like any other dog that we choose to live with as companions. Dogs don't deserve the treatment they get in the racing industry. Our petition is getting close to 20,000 signatures, which is amazing. I think we can at least double that before it closes in August. So without further ado, here's my conversation with the Greyhound Protection League's Aaron Cross. Um, so to start things off, I'd love to hear a little bit more about yourself and um, especially around your campaigning against Greyhound Racing. What prompted you to start sort of advocacy in that space that goes back believe it or not 10 years now and uh i was uh, at the time oh more than 10 years my, my partner and i were uh thinking of mo- moving to australia uh but her son really wanted a dog and uh we couldn't really adopt a dog and then go overseas it's just it was quite impractical but then uh they heard about greyhounds as pets the adoption agency that rehomes greyhounds and um they uh, brought home this brochure one day of, of this uh, rehome a greyhound type uh, campaign from Greyhounds as Pets, and I just sort of knew straight away that it was something that I'd be into, and they were just beautiful looking dogs. So, so we uh, started fostering for Greyhounds as Pets, and that's when you take a, a dog that's from the racing industry and you uh, show them the home environment and you teach them a few basics that uh, they wouldn't be exposed to. Uh, in the racing industry so that's things like uh, what, what a glass door is uh, how to get up and down steps um, inside and outside and outside being where you go to the toilet that sort of thing how to navigate around vacuum cleaners and just all the crazy things that they've never seen before that we we take for granted um, everything from slamming doors to to curtains that blow in the breeze it's all quite new for greyhounds so uh, we uh, fostered a greyhound called max and uh, we changed his name to Pax just to uh, help him uh, find his new identity. And so we had Pax, and Pax stayed with us for three weeks, and then he went off to his permanent home, and I was very sad. Uh, but but Pax actually chased the neighbour's cat on the very first day that he he got there, and the neighbour's cat was in the wrong backyard, and Pax gave him a good hurry-up. And uh, so, yeah, Pax actually nipped the cat, and uh, he had to get a few stitches uh, and the new owner was quite distraught, and I was quite sad about losing Pax. So uh, when I heard that he was coming back, uh, that was really good news. Now, the Greyhounds' as pets had, had already sort of said, well, you know, that sort of means he's failed the adoption program. But I was like, no, no, no way is he getting put down. And his trainer, who I met along the way, just in the transferring of dogs back and forth, said that uh, he, he didn't have the heart to put packs down, so he put him into the adoption program. So going back to that same trainer was a bit of a worry. And uh, he came and lived with me for... How long was it? Nine years. And uh, so he was what shaped the campaign, really. He's the Greyhound Protection League original. 
and um, he's left us now, unfortunately. But I've I've got two more greyhounds at the moment, Pippi and Sally. And, um, yeah, it was really that that, that got me involved and, and just seeing what he went through initially and all the changes he had to go through. And then I fostered two more dogs through greyhounds as pets. And by that stage, I'd also encountered a dog that uh, I met and then he got put down because he'd been another dog. And I'd, I began asking questions through the GAP network and you know things like, oh, what's happening with these behavioural problems, and 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 why why was that dog just put down, and why is nobody asking questions about it? And that particular dog had been raced with a broken tail, and a, it was quite sick. And there was just a number of red flags coming up. So I, I I asked more and more questions through Gap, and that's basically sort of meant that uh, I couldn't really continue with Gap in the end because they just want to sort of you know carry on and just pick up the pieces behind the racing industry. It's what they do. And in in the end, I just I just got online one day and I looked up the Greyhound Racing website and I just looked around the information and I, I tried to find my dog. He wasn't on there, and I noticed that they do have race reports and that uh, there was dogs recorded as getting injured in these race reports. And when I started to see how many were being euthanized, I sort of thought, well, this is a smoking gun. This is this is pretty shocking. And although it's online and available, I, I don't think that people are really aware of what's going on here. So that became my first driver was just, you know, investigating how many animals are suffering injuries because of, you know, a, a sport or a, a gambling uh, entertainment activity is sort of something fairly non-essential in, in the minds of most. And uh, that was what kicked it off, really. And uh, around the same time, a couple of people had contacted SAFE because they had similar concerns from their journeys. And uh, a couple of people had also contacted Grey2K USA, who then uh, reached out and found me. I'd, I'd started a website by that stage just trying to raise the alarm about this sort of thing. And then so three of us came together at one time and decided to form the Greyhound Protection League. And uh, that's how things kicked off there. It's quite interesting that, I mean... It's not surprising knowing about this all now, but obviously you were trying to get more information. You were trying to maybe raise the alarm within Greyhounds' pets, who on the face of it you'd think is a, you know, a really positive charity, not-for-profit, that's um, all about rehoming X-racing dogs. But obviously behind the scenes, there are close ties with the Greyhound racing industry. That's right. They get funding from the Greyhound racing industry. Not a lot, to be fair, but um, they do get some. Um, And it's almost like, you know, they pull the black curtain down over a lot of the sort of stuff. Sure. Um, Yeah. And I've even heard of people who have quite involved with Greyhounds as pets and they're basically told, shut up or you're out. Yeah. So you've got to understand an industry like greyhound racing that that breeds and imports a lot of dogs because everyone's looking for the winner. They want the one that's going to win the the big money, you know, those five-figure prizes just out of a 30-second race. You know, it's like a gold rush in a way. And everybody's looking for that winner. And so they're going to have all these losers, all these slow dogs, the ones that aren't interested, the ones that just want to play and be dogs, and ones that hurt themselves, ones that are too small, ones that are too big, ones that can't coordinate themselves properly. Um, our Sally, she can run really fast in a straight line, but she can't corner very fast. So she's not, she's not um, what's the word, agile enough to, to navigate the corners and you know in and out of other dogs and that sort of thing. So there's a lot of dogs that aren't perfect. 
for racing and so people kind of get this bug they talk about getting the bug of racing and so they get all these dogs and they try and try and find the fast one and they sort of just turn a, a bit of a blind eye and put the blinkers on for all the other ones and so an industry that does that or a, or a community that does that they they kind of want to clean up their mess and so that's where greyhounds as pets come in is that it's, it's the racing industry's effort to to clean up their mess and it's 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 very much part of the racing industry in that it's trainers that are involved with Greyhounds as Pets charity. Uh, you know, there's obviously the connection of the dogs transferring from trainers to the Greyhounds as Pets charity. So there's a lot of, of human interaction there. And, and again, when people adopt from Greyhounds as Pets, is that human interaction as well. And the message all the way through is that racing's quite wholesome. We love our dogs, uh, despite they're giving them away to total strangers. Uh, that they do the best for them and they feed them well and they give them a pet and so on. Uh, but really, what's happening with um, Greyhounds as Pets, and it's an expanded exercise now, it's called the Great Mates Rehoming Program, uh, involving a few different groups, uh, is, is that it's all uh, the racing industry trying to clean up their mess. And, and frankly, they don't do a very good job of it. And a lot of dogs fall through the cracks because, uh, you know, when you're tracing a chip, training a dog to be a racing greyhound and to chase things you're uh, essentially teaching it a lot of bad habits and so uh, a lot of those dogs don't really recover from that training and when it comes to you know assimilation into the community and going through the GAP program or the Great Mates program they they just come up short because all that training that's been put into them is actually completely undermining them once they're off the track so yes greyhounds as pets um it does have some uh, funding from the uh, from the racing industry, but they're forever trying to fundraise to cover the rest of their costs. It's a very expensive process per greyhound to rehome. Uh, many years ago, it co- I figured out it cost three thousand dollars to rehome a single greyhound, and I, I believe it's probably more now. But um, the, the other the other side of that coin is that there has been non-industry affiliated charities. But eventually they just run out of money and they run out of volunteer time and it's adoptive homes are hard to come by, but foster homes are also very hard to come by. So it's it's all a nice idea, but when it comes to actually people going, okay, yeah, I'll take in a, a, a dog with some behavioural problems into my home for three weeks and I'll recondition it and everything. Sure, it sounds great, but it's actually a lot of work. And um, the, the ultimate fact is not many people do step up. So now, these days, there's very few non-affiliated groups and there's quite a few industry-affiliated groups that are established. And I suppose to get, you know, even a piece of the small amount of funding available from the industry to rehome dogs to get access to that, you'd have to play by their rules. Oh, absolutely. Which probably includes you know you can't be an agitator you, you've raised some of the risks involved in greyhound racing um obviously a big one is the the behavior that's that's trained into these dogs which is inherent in in racing and it makes it more difficult to to rehome them and, and, and assimilate them into the community what are some of the other risks involved in greyhound racing well, when you talk about risk, you, you can talk about the physical risk to the animal uh to the to the injuries and you can talk about the risks that people will take to win as well. And um, I'll, I'll come back to the injuries, but the problem you've got when you've got this this vice-type environment where there's a lot of money at stake and um, a lot of sort of moral compromises along the way is that 
humans have a tendency to sort of push the envelope and just to take that edge a little bit further each time and it's you know are you going to are you going to teach the dog to chase rabbits in the paddock are you going to start confining rabbits into a paddock into a paddock and just let them the greyhounds chase them around in there or are you going to actually tie the rabbits to something and, and let them savage uh that rabbit um, you know, we've I've spoken to witnesses of live baiting in New Zealand, and it's pretty upsetting what they've seen. And I think that when you've got this huge amount of prize money on the line, and no real regulatory efforts being made by the government to to ensure the animal welfare acts followed, you've run two acute risks, and one is live baiting, and the other one is drugs and doping greyhounds. Now. We've seen a few cases of some serious drugs in greyhounds in New Zealand, including methamphetamine. Uh, there may actually be another methamphetamine case surface soon, according to the grapevine. But uh, the other other drugs include caffeine, and um, we also see uh, veterinary-type drugs that we'd use as a painkiller and anti-inflammatory administered to greyhounds uh, racing, which is against their rules. And that's generally to, to suppress injuries and to get a, a fast dog back on the track for that that one important race. I don't quite understand all the nuances of uh, exactly which race is the most important in order to make it to the big expensive races. But people do all kinds of things to, to get these dogs on the track, and it's always a compromise to their welfare. And um, so you've got a, an acute problem with just people pushing that envelope and, and just taking it too far with the drugs and the live baiting, and that's the, that's the restraining of animals and, and triggering the dog's prey drive into attacking that animal and then replicating that, that, that prey drive aggravation once they're on the track and they're chasing that bunny. You know, It goes from beyond a game and a bit of fun to actually that animal has been triggered, it's, it's, had, its, it's had its instincts perverted, and it's now wanting to just chase because it's, it's had that buzz and it wants it again. It's... It, it's it's a very unhealthy thing for the dog. So you've got so you've got risks that trainers are going to take with these animals in order to get the money. But then you've got the risks of the track itself. And what we see mostly leading to the deaths of greyhounds on the track is when they're accelerating in the sand and putting so much pressure on their joints to get ahead and to get the lure that they they literally break their own legs by through exertion and uh, it's generally the ankle section of the dog that is known as the hock um, if it was a, if you look at if you look at a human by comparison it's the ankle area and these joints just just shatter and because they're dogs you've got no way of saying well look you know you're on bed rest for six weeks or eight weeks or three months or longer um, you've got to get better they're just dogs they just want to jump around and when it's food time they they want to jump up and when they Somebody comes in. I mean, they don't get a lot of stimulation in the kennels. Um, they jump up, and, and next thing you know, they've hurt themselves again. So it's it's an extremely arduous process to try and rehabilitate those dogs. And uh, while amputation is also uh, an option, it's generally just a, a cost thing that that causes trainers to not explore that. Uh, which is, you know, it's just sadness all round. And what really gets me is that these people do this again and again and again and they create all this harm and damage again and again and again and then they just go out and do it again. And they never suffer. The trainers never suffer. Well, they might have a bit of a weep about the, the loss of the dog or of the loss of the money-earning potential. I can never tell the difference. But it's never the trainers that suffer these things. I think it's a very cowardly pursuit in that you put an innocent in harm's way and see what happens. Maybe you get some money out of it. You know, I think it's a disgraceful pursuit. 
But yeah, that's the that's the main risks. And the track is is a very brutal place. It's a full contact activity. Every race, there's collisions and at high speed, and and the the corners bring all the dogs together into one point, and the lure is going tightly around the corner, so the pack of dogs compress at high speeds, and it only takes a little bit of imbalance to throw a dog off, and next thing you know, they've wrenched a muscle or you know blown a bone or snapped a toe, and it happens literally daily. Some of the videos I've watched where we know that a, a dog has been injured, which le- has led to euthanasia, you blink and you miss it. You know they they either collide with another dog or they trap or uh, essentially they fall and you blink and you miss it. It's happening at such fast speeds. And it's unsurprising that, you know, injuries are common when you think of the great speeds that they're going at and how quickly it's all over. And, and it's, a, it's a catastrophic sort of incident to happen. Oh, very quickly, extremely quick. And you're, and you're right, it's out of shot very quickly. And the, and the camera operators over the year that I've watched, over the years that I've watched race footage, uh, they used to just sort of keep the shot quite wide and kind of try and track all the dogs through to the to the finish. Uh, but now, as soon as a dog drops out of the main pack, they tighten the shot and, and follow the pack around. And um, even at the end of the race, I think it's depending on which track, but when, when the dogs get to the lure at the end, they absolutely savage it. And you can see where that that aggravation of the prey drive and the exploitation of those instincts is really taking over and they're really having a go at it. I've noticed now that they really pan really wide so those incidents are just a tiny speck in the distance. And I tell you what was really funny was during the whole COVID uh, restrictions earlier in the year where racing was just allowed to continue under a certain amount of conditions. Well, instead of panning around and following the dogs past the finish line and to where the lure slows and the trainers all collect them, they'd stop the camera on the finish line so that when the dogs ran past and round to the trainers and they're all breaching the social distancing rules on a, on you know a dozen times a day on a daily basis, uh, they cut that out as well. So they're very crafty. Uh, they're very dedicated to preventing the public from seeing what's happening. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if there's punters out there that have no idea what's actually happening on the various screens they're watching uh, just because they're, they're, they're viewing it with different motivations than we would. A few years ago, um, Rodney Hansen QC released a, a damning report about greyhound racing. Um, even Winston Peters at the time came out extremely critical of, of the greyhound racing industry when that report came out, which um, is a, a surprise from someone like him. And I was surprised, yes. I was surprised at his reaction. I was very pleased. Was it worse than you expected? or was it? What was your reaction to the report? Well, I'd, I'd sat down with Rodney Hansen and uh, voiced a few of my concerns quite early in his investigation and he was he just looked pretty overwhelmed and I thought oh here we go this is the classic case of you reveal all and it all kind of just gets swept under the carpet but no he came through really solidly and and I, I thanked him in the end and he, he just said look I just told it how I saw it and uh, that's all, I, all all we ever wanted is for people to see this for what it is and there was one or two things that he'd missed. I mean, this this isn't my interpretation of the racing industry. It was his interpretation of the racing industry. So, so there was a few things he missed um, from, from memory. One of them is he didn't really give a lot of consideration to the impacts of dogs that are being imported on top of all the ones that we're breeding and struggling to rehome and failing to rehome. We're also importing up to 200 a year. It was around 300 a year at the time. 
that he conducted his report. So there was that, and there was one or two other things. I, I, I skimmed through some emails to try and pick up on them um, before we had this, and I, I couldn't couldn't quite find that particular email. It's a few years old now. But um, he, he did a pretty good job. But w- what worries me is that sometimes he'll come up with some well, – this is, this is the second such investigation like this. There was one earlier uh, called the WHK report that was uh, funded by the racing – Greyhound Racing New Zealand themselves, they wanted to sort of audit themselves once we first put the pressure on. But what happens is that these reports come up with a list of recommendations and some of them are absolutely excellent. They're perfect. They're, you know, you've got to be more honest about your reporting. You've got to tell the truth and, and don't shy away and, and set standards and lift standards and, and educate and so on. All those things are, are quite valid and, and useful and create improved welfare incomes. But then you'll get a, a suggestion that's actually quite ridiculous. And one of the ones that's come up is what we need is to have more racing opportunities for dogs, also, also known as more races. And the idea of that is that if you have more races or more racing opportunities, then the trainers will put less dogs down. But the, the logic of that is so flawed because you've still got to do something with the dogs at the end of their racing career anyway. So having more races, sure, it might stop them putting down younger ones, but it's still the same amount of dogs. And so what the racing industry did is they put a huge effort into that, into running more races. And every year that, that since our first petition, which was in 2013, every year they've run more races than the than the year before. So that actually puts creates more situations where the dogs are at risk of catastrophic injury, and uh, it just it creates more demand for dogs. So sometimes you get a recommendation that's fantastic, and sometimes you get a recommendation that's just really a bit of a dud, and it's only going to serve the industry. So they you know they put a lot of effort into creating more races, and they still have the problem of not enough homes for dogs. The the industry says it's improving and implementing some of those recommendations that you've, well, well they say they're implementing all of them. Do you agree with, with them when they say that they're improving? Oh, I mean, y- you, can, you can improve in perpetuity, really. You can, mm. you know, if I'm a burglar and I burgled 100 houses one year and then the next year I burgled 99, I'm improving, you know. Am I good? <laughs> True. Am I, am I better than I was? Am I, am I, am I deserving of... Of, um, of, of of credible applause, you know, it's it's all very well to be improving, but we, I'm done with giving participation awards. I want results. I want to see outcomes. I want to see results. I want to see conclusions. And I don't want to see this constant patting on back of oh, you're doing great for all these people. They're actually still doing a terrible thing. So improvements is is sure improve improve. They can they can improve uh, as much as they like. What what we're concerned about is results. We want an end to culling, an end to these injuries, uh, some proper regulation so there's no chance of live baiting or doping going on. Uh, there's there's basically we we want a ban because we've just given this industry so many opportunities to sort its act out. Um, I mean, it should have been an outstanding world leader in animal welfare before we even came on the scene. The fact that it wasn't, I think, is a pretty good testament as to where their values were. And so after two inquiries, and to still be looking at the kind of statistics we're looking at right now, I think the writing's on the wall, and I wish politicians would just wake up to the fact that the industry keeps pulling the wool over their eyes and, and having them on, 
and actually take seriously these issues because we don't treat dogs like this in a humane, civilised society. We're good people in New Zealand. We love our animals. Dogs are part of the family. You don't spend them like gambling chips at the casino and, you know, kill them left, right and centre uh, in pursuit of, uh, you know, a fistful of cash. It's it's bollocks yeah. is what it is. Yeah, you, you've raised a good point there about pulling the wool over our eyes. Like the last annual report, there was 199 euthanasias reported for uh, the previous season. Um, after further inquiry, it turns out that number was actually greater. It was. But they had just failed to put them in, in their annual report. Um, and, and, and those are the numbers that are accountable. Um, there's still appears to be a, a huge lack of transparency within the greyhound racing oh, it's, industry. It, it's like a game of whack-a-mole trying to get this, get a straight answer out of the racing industry. It, it's ridiculous. You, you'd think that they just put the cards on the table and stand by their actions and and, and face the music. But no, it's, even now we're still not getting a straight answer. It's worth pointing out that the industry's regulator, the Racing Integrity Unit, actually reported less deaths than the industry declared themselves. So the regulator themselves are flawed and not really coming to the party in terms of playing their role properly either. So it's a, it's a, a leaky boat and uh, it just needs to... We need to stop bailing it out, literally, and just let the damn thing sink. Mm, yes. What's what's the state of greyhound racing today in New Zealand, well, in your opinion? So that's a, that's a good question because... When we came on the scene a decade ago, it was it was appalling. It was like a you drive down the road and you see a, an old barn in the paddock and it's falling apart and there's pigeons living in it and it, it's uninhabitable, it's derelict, it's a, a, a it's unsafe, a total disaster, a write off. That was what greyhound racing was like at the beginning. So we put our cards on the table and said, "Look, this is happening. It's not good enough." And the, and the government turned around and said, "Well, righto, we'll give them a chance to fix it." And so they did that. They, they tore down this old barn in the paddock and they built this nice apartment complex, two stories high, a real flash, modern house, and did all these things, did all this painting and put in double glazed windows and everything and made it all flash. But at the end, the results are still unacceptable. So the industry's gone from a totally derelict state to a state-of-the-art uh, modern sport, if you could call it that, and yet we're still seeing the same problems. So that's that's you know that it's actually been a bit of a challenge really to sort of start at the beginning and, and look at this old barn and, and sit there and watch as they pull it down and fix it up and build it all up again and and make this flash looking thing that is greyhound racing today. At the same time, knowing that they're churning through the dogs and the bodies are piling up, and that and that the message is, oh, we're improving, we're doing great, we've done this change, we've done that report, we've done this inquiry, we're listening to all this feedback. At one point they had the former CEO of New Zealand Rugby League running their show, so that's a professional sports uh, league. That uh, you know, so, so there was some real professionalism got injected into there, and so the story was, oh, it's improved, it's a totally different thing, it's changed, everything's better, but... Ask the dogs, you know, what, what do they think about it? They're still dying by the hundred. They're still being culled at the tracks by by the dozen every year from horrendous injuries. And who knows what's happening in trainers' backyards where they're training the dogs. You know, where are the vets in those situations? How long do those dogs suffer in remote places, uh, you know, where there's no, no vets or, or medicines around? Or, you know, what's the plan there? So, you know, I've seen it go from zero to a hundred, the problems haven't gone anywhere. It's um, 
it's a tough gig what you're doing. Um, you know, it's any, you know, any form of animal exploitation is, is pretty appalling, but there's, there's something about, um, you know, and we shouldn't value, you know, certain animals over others, but there's something about dogs being treated the way that they are in a greyhound racing industry that it's a funny one. Well, it's, it's a funny old one. It's the thin edge of the wedge. I think I, I coined the phrase a while back. Animal rights begins with man's best friend or human's best friend. I mean, I, I quite like uh, taking the misogyny out of that phrase, man's best friend, but um, or mankind's best friend, humankind's best friend. We we have this really special relationship with dogs, and you know we, we do we we love them to bits. You know they're wonderful creatures. They we don't deserve them, but I think that, and I agree with you on the treatment of all animals. I'm very much on the same page with you there. Um, I've been a vegan for ten years myself because of animal rights reasons and the way that we treat them in the food industry. But there's a there's a there's an argument that. Some people think we need to eat animals to be healthy and to survive, and other people think that we don't. I don't think we do. Uh, but no one can argue that we need gambling. No one can argue we need to hurt and kill dogs for a gambling industry. It's an entertainment industry. And if you want to gamble, there's so many different options out there. You can gamble on actual sports nowadays. You can gamble on um, the All Blacks playing Australia or uh, any, a number of, of sports are... Uh, increasingly taking market share so we don't need things like uh, dog racing and and even horse racing you know i don't i don't have much first hand on hands first hand experience with horses i know they're lovely animals i really i really love love them as animals i know there's some serious problems in the horse racing industry and um but my my experience and my expertise is in greyhounds and their welfare and um i feel pretty pretty strongly um experienced to, to speak on that matter i think there's some issues that are the same in horse racing you've got the the sort of rotten economic motivations and you've got the issues of wastage and everyone wants a winner type thing but um in horse racing you've got you know a jockey who's whipping the horse um you don't have live baiting issues in horse racing because they're um herbivores um uh, a jockey is controlling the horse to a degree as to where it goes in the race, whereas a dog's just running flat out from instinct, and it just that kind of drives the collisions up a bit more. I think so. There's some similarities there, but um, I think yeah, we the thin edge of the wedge. If we can get this win for greyhounds, then why can't we get better outcomes for other animals as well? Is, is my thinking. But um, as honestly, I thought this was, was going to be so much easier just to blow the whistle and get people's attention, and people would react accordingly. But it seems like it seems like you've got to do everything yourself. In a way, I mean, that's why I'm so pleased that Safe's helping because I, we just don't have that capacity. You know, we, we have got a good core team of of really smart um, GPL people. But uh, we can't do everything, and we're just everyday people, you know. We I, I didn't want to sit down and turn this into a, a full-blown charity um, with uh, occupations and roles and fundraising and all that sort of thing. It just wasn't my thing. I'd, I'd seem to be putting my effort into music. But um, the the reality is is that we can't do it alone, and that's why it's been so good having Safe helping. And, um, yeah, we can't really thank you enough for that, and it's, it's made a real difference. Well, as I said before, you're at the, you know, you're kind of the leading voice for greyhounds in New Zealand and um, and you're an expert in, in ways that, you know, we can't be all the time as well. So it's a pleasure to work with you on um, this campaign at the moment um, and obviously, obviously supporting your petition, which is seeking to get a ban on greyhound racing and, 
and Greyhounds rehabilitated. Um, and now we've got Grey2K USA Worldwide as well, who have um, supporting from from where they can. So it's no, they've had they've had some good wins for dogs and um, well, in, in America specifically, and also in Macau, China, there was a track where um, no greyhound got out alive um, in Macau, which is a special economic area of China, just north of Hong Kong. And um, a lot of Australian dogs were ending up there and a few New Zealand dogs too, actually. And um, so Grey2K got involved with that. And um, while well, they, they supported a local movement to um, close that track down and they were successful in doing it. And I think there's, some, there's a lot in that. You know, if a country like China can listen to, to the voices of reason and uh, actually respond to complaints in such a profound way that they will shut a track down for humane reasons, then why, why can't New Zealand do, do something you know, we've, we've been shown up by the People's Republic of China on animal welfare, and I think that's pretty significant, to be honest. You're absolutely right. I'd never thought of it that way. Um, yeah, if they can do it, why can't we? Um, if we're supposed to be the the world leaders in animal welfare, allegedly. Um, <laughs> obviously not. Yeah, no, thank you so much for your time today, and thank you for all the work that you do. And, um, yeah, together, let's let, let's 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 get this thing oh no this is a good thing will and um you know i'm i'm really confident that um with our combined efforts we'll really be able to make a difference this time around um i really really want to appeal to grant robertson the minister for racing and uh, mecca faturi who's uh, the associate minister for agriculture who's also now responsible for animal welfare please just 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 do the right thing you know stop these people from hurting these animals for such terrible reasons those listening, you can sign the petition by heading to safe.org.nz. There's a link to the Parliament website to sign that. Um, and also contact Grant Robertson and Mecca Fighteri um, and, and, and let them know that this is something that we want to have, you know, get some action on. This podcast is brought to you by Safe for Animals, New Zealand's leading animal rights organisation and produced by myself, Will Appleby. Make sure you subscribe to stay across animal matters on whatever your favourite podcast platform is. If you're listening on Apple, please leave a rating as it helps other listeners to find the show. Until next time, ka kite anō.